Today, I'm speaking with Jeff Phillips, a 50-plus year veteran of radio and television. Wollongong Citizen of the Year, some will remember him as the Mayor of Windang Heights. He's also a marketing guru, public speaker, golfer, gentleman, friend, husband and proud dad of two teenage girls. When I was reading the news at Prime Television, he was at Wynn and Jeff was my on-air nemesis for 10 years. We then wound up as co-presenters on the same team for the next 15. We became compadres as well as nightly news co-hosts. We shared many extraordinary and funny moments. Jeff is a much-loved local identity in the Illawarra and he has some fascinating tales to tell, some of which I will attempt to eke out of him today. Jeff Phillips, welcome. KJ, wonderful to be working with you again. Who would have thought? Five years down the track. Look at us. <laughs> Thanks for joining me for my um, second podcast. When I was thinking about um, who I would like to interview, you were you were one of the first names to pop into my head. You've achieved so much. You're so well known and loved. But there's so much more to you than just a talking head. Tell me where and for how long did you work in the media? Can you list the genres and some of the outlets that you worked at? Yes, I started in 1969 at 2 at Musselbrook. I did a dancing school and there were 36 of us who started the school, which was run by Charles McLaughlin, who at that stage was the breakfast announcer on 2GB. And it was a 13-week course and he said, there's 36 of you here tonight. By the time you get to the end of the course, there'll only be three or four of you. And when we got to the end of the course, there were three of us. And he said, you three will get jobs in radio. I'm an accidental everything, actually, um, Karen, if the, the truth be known. Um, I was just a jock at, at uh, 2 and Musselbrook, and the breakfast announcer slept in three days in a row. So I ended up doing the breakfast gig. And then uh, I went from there to 2 and at Newcastle, and the guy who was controlling all the sport there, he left, and I got the sporting job controlling all the racing and all the football and all the rugby league. So serendipitous, uh, isn't it? It's the, often the way in this industry. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And then they came up with the idea that I could start at nine o'clock in the morning and finish at midnight on air. I'd do a 15-hour shift on air each Saturday. Oh. That, to me, was just not on because I wasn't earning enough money to survive then. And I was actually penciling for a bookmaker on Saturday, and that's how I got enough money to survive. Right. So I left there and became a professional punter for 12 months, living off uh, my earnings, paid for a car and everything. Then I had the hunger to get back into radio again, so I went to Lismore. I got a job at Lismore. I was just another jock at Lismore. The breakfast announcer decided to leave, and so they said, oh, you did breakfast at 2M, so we'll put you in as the breakfast announcer here. So I got that job, and then I, the, the guy who was, I was working with, he got a job at, at 2WL in Wollongong, but he wouldn't come. He couldn't come because his fiancée was mad keen on horses and she lived at a casino and wasn't going to drag her horses all the way down to Wollongong. So he said, why don't you apply for the job? So I did, and I came to Wollongong as a copywriter. I'd only been here about three weeks. Steve Parsons left, and they had a vacancy for a breakfast announcer. I got that job. <laughs> So, uh, and then I, was, I didn't have enough money to really live in a, uh, in a flat or a unit. So I was actually living in a caravan at Windang. And uh, it rained heavily one day and the lake overflowed and the Windang caravan park got flooded except for my caravan. So I was lucky enough to be in Windang Heights and that's where that all came from. Windang Road was only one lane north and one lane south and they'd built up 
to a two lane south and two lane north. But when they built it up, they built it up about two metres and they put in the southbound lanes first. Well, it just acted as a levee bank for the overflowing lake. And it, I walked out in the, my car. All I could see was the steering wheel. The rest of it was underwater, but it no. didn't come into my caravan. So I was really lucky. So I just jokingly said that and hey, presto, pshum, suddenly became the mayor of Winning Heights, just like that. And from there, where did you, how did you end up going from radio into television? Although you got headhunted first, didn't you? I did. I, I, they asked me to join 200, so I moved across there not knowing what shift I was going to do, but hey presto, it was the breakfast shift, so I got that again. 200 was bought out by Win 4, as it was at the time, the old Channel 4, and I ended up uh, coming off air and doing marketing promotions for Win TV. I was working with a guy called Ross Warren, and he was doing both sport and weather on the news. And he hated sport for some reason. I used to work with him in, in the same office. We actually worked in a caravan, believe it or not, to the side of the building. And uh, I said, you don't like sport? He said, no, I hate it. I said, would you mind if I put in for the sports gig? He said, yeah, I hope you get it. I owe him my career in television. So you started mm-hmm. off um, with the, that sports gig and then you moved into news. How, how much later? Uh, 13 years later. I, I was actually on holidays and I got a telephone call from the manager, Kerry Kingston, who said um, Mary Franks was doing the news at the time. And, she's, and he said, Mary's just resigned. And he said, would you like to do the news? And I said, well, he said, there's a pay rise for you. I said, of course I would. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I became the newsreader in, in 2000, the year 2000. That actually segues nicely into something else I wanted to ask you about all the change that you would have seen um, across the entire media landscape, I suppose, but particularly in television. What what do you think are the most extraordinary changes that, that you have witnessed in terms of news delivery or the audience or, or the technology? We used to have a floor manager and there were about 20 people that used to put the news together every single night. And and to me, the, the news... The news team was always like a cricket team. You had the, the, the chief selector who was the cause and he would send the journos out into the field and they'd send all their stories back into the newsroom or back back into the, the stump, so to speak. Um, the, the, the producer and director basically are the umpires and you as a presenter, and I don't know whether you felt the same thing, um, you're the wicket keeper. You're the last line of defence. And if any mistakes get made, you're the last one that it comes to that can pick up the mistake. And sometimes there are mistakes that happens and you do get hold of it and you pick it up and you correct it before it goes to where. And always, you, you can't do it by yourself. It is a whole team effort from the journos, the producers, uh, the, 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 the chief of staff, the lighting guy can make you look bad, the audio guy can make you look bad, the makeup lady can make you look bad, but she never, never did. Um, <laughs> She's a good so, girl. If you, if you had to capture your feelings about your news role and that time in the public eye, how, how would you describe it on a personal level? Um, absolute joy and pleasure. Um, I've said to my kids, they're, they're getting over the age now where they'll be leaving school shortly, and I've said to them, you know, whatever you do, pick something that you actually enjoy doing. And in my career, in my life, in radio and television, I, I've never had to work a day in my life. I've been paid for it having fun. Um, I, 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 the radio side of the things was always it was always about fun, and I always thought that 
if I'm genuinely having fun and I'm really enjoying myself, that will transmit through the microphone into whoever happens to be listening. They will know that I'm genuinely having fun. If you try and fake it, they'll pick you out straight away. And I always use the term, radio to me was theatre of the mind. And what I tried to do when I was on radio was create something that people can visualise that's not really happening, but in their brain, it is happening. I, I, I love that approach. I, I, I actually love it. And and I don't see a lot of that in radio today, the, the theatre of the mind. Definitely crucial to have that connection with what you do. I, I agree wholeheartedly. Something I did want to ask you, which is just digressing a little bit, but it just popped into my head when you were talking about that and loving the job. I don't know about you, but something that I was asked almost weekly during our time on air together, people would come up to me and conspiratorially just whisper in my ear, do you and Jeff Phillips get on? Do you argue? Do you, do you like each other? I feel like people love a backstory. Did you get that? Um, yes, to a certain extent. I used to say, yeah, we hate each other. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. <laughs> Excellent. Well, no. I used to say, I'm sorry to disappoint, but there is no scandal. Yeah. And I, I feel like I, I learned a lot from you, uh, not the least of which was tempering my overreaction to situations. I do. I am a bit of a catastrophizer. Um, I always found you very measured and very respectful. Um, that said, something else that we used to laugh about frequently, if anyone ever heard our chats in between stories and records with our mics on, I wonder, I wonder what their perception would be. We probably passed stories while, while the stories were going to air, exactly what people at home are thinking the same thing, whether some, somebody's done something really dumb. Um, you, you actually say, well, that was a dumb thing to do or, or different different things happen. And, and the stories, they, they do get told, but we were always thick. When I say thick as thieves, and I mean that in a really nice way, you, you and I ended up really good friends and, and I'm pleased to say that. And, and we worked really well together. And I always go, I, I, I tell people this sometimes when we were reading together and you might remember this one, one night you, you grabbed my arm while you were actually reading and you couldn't breathe. And I just, picked up from where you left off and I just continued on and you had to run out of the studio so you could actually get some air. Something happened to you. And I thought, that's teamwork, man. Like people sitting at home, you, you, you just finished your bit and I just took over from the away we went and no one would even have known yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, people talk about um, it being such a competitive industry, but supporting your, you know, your co-workers through any situations that they're going through personally or with their families, you know, having young children and working a full-time job or split shifts is actually quite challenging too. So having each other's backs is important, which um, again is, is segues nicely into my question to you about where you're at now, what you're doing now. Obviously, you have a lot more time to spend with your family. I do. And I'm doing things that I, I'd never had the time for before because I was always at work when they'd finished school. But now I can take them to school. I can pick them up from school. One's going to university. So I take her to the train station of the mornings. She's going to Sydney Uni. So I take her to the train station so she can go up to uni. One of them likes speech and drama. Um, I've joined a, a group called the Gong Gangsters, which is a old radio, television, and people who've been on stage get together once a month and we get dressed up as gangsters and we tell tall tales and from the past and everyone just lasts for three hours and has a good time. You, 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 I'm getting sidetracked here. I'm just thinking of something else that happened too. When I was in radio, you, 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 things that happened to you and they affect what you do 
not realising at the time, but later in life. And when I was in radio, I had a, he read the news and he used the word astronomical. And I, <laughs> I fell off the chair <laughs> laughing. And do you know what? When I was reading the news on Win TV, if any journalist put the word astronomical in, I took it out. I have trouble saying the word astronomical. I have to actually stop <laughs> and think about it because yeah. astronomi astronomical just sat in my brain. I thought, oh, my gosh, I can't do this. Yes, so, well, I had a couple of words too. I had rural school children. And to this day, teaching um, at UOW, I always say, you know, some of the students will say, oh, I struggle with some of the words. I just can't get them out. And, and how can you help me with it? And I said, you know what? I just think we have some of those bugbears. I cannot do rural school children. And I do actually recall another night with you, and it was a rare mistake on your part, but it was a funny one. Um, and you were introducing a story about Natasha Sturgis. Do you remember that? Oh, my gosh. Yes, I do. <laughs> um, I was reading the news with Mary Franks. So this is when I was doing sport. And the journal who was the sports journal at the time thought it was really funny to do alliteration. And the word S is a terrible sound. It's a sibilant sound. And, and when you get a lot of S's together, he wrote Helensburg's windsurfing sensation, Natasha Sturgis. And when I went to say it, it came out Helensburg's windsurfing sensation, Nastasha Turgis. I knew I'd said something wrong, so I said, I'm sorry. I meant windsurfing sensation, Nastasha Turgis. And I said it again. And Mary beside me just looked away, the, the floor manager looked away, and I'm stuck on camera having called this girl Turgis. And when I saw her next time, I just apologised. She said, we just all laughed. But, Absolutely. But, Look, it's those moments which I think viewers actually enjoy, which leads me to my next question about oh. do you have a funniest on-air moment? I know that I've had a few funny things happen Um but I do recall uh, you and I being sent to the naughty corner once, and I won't go into that <laughs> too far, but over an air guitar incident. Do you remember that? I do remember that, and that was the story that came down from I-98, this air guitarist. And for people who don't know what an air guitarist is, it's a guy who gets dressed up like a hippie and pretends to play a pretend guitar. Now, on radio, you can't see him and you can't hear him because he's playing a pretend guitar. So we did a news story on him. So when it, when it came to go to air, we had the footage of this guy dressed up look like, looking like a hippie pretending to play a pretend guitar. I just couldn't believe this guy is making a living pretending to play a guitar. What sort of world is this <laughs> when a guy can pretend to play a guitar and get paid for it? And I just found it. Absolutely uh, I, I, unbelievable. I just started laughing and I think I, I caused you to laugh as well. And, and he did look like Matty Russell, who was our sports presenter at the time. <laughs> he did a little and we both laughed so much. I actually, um, I still have that vision and I do have a look at it sometimes and it does make me laugh. We, we both laughed so much that we couldn't get the good night out on air. And that was probably <laughs> the only time I've ever laughed so much. I, I ended up laying my head on my arms, on the desk, and I was still uh, on there at the time. Yeah, but that was a yeah. funny day. That was a funny day. I loved day. it. I loved it. I thought it was good. I loved it. So, so while your life is very full at the moment, it sounds like, do you, do you miss being on air? Um, no, not really. 
I've probably been asked that a couple of times. I, I miss the the people I worked with and the comradeship. And as you know, like if, if there's a big story breaking, there's a real buzz around the newsroom, and people are dashing here and dashing there, and and it's alive, and it and it's almost a breathing thing, and becomes a life of its own sort of thing. And and you miss all all that sort of thing, or they bring in a late breaking story, and you know things things go, things happen at the last minute, and here's the late story, and all that. And you get hyped up for it at the end of the day. But now I I I don't I don't actually miss being on air. I, I miss the comradeship and like I don't have any workmates anymore because I'm retired now. But I have former workmates and I see them every now and again. So the question is, no, I don't. But I miss the people I worked with. Yeah, yeah, and I suppose the um, the anonymity or the relative anonymity that comes with actually stepping out of that job is appealing to people who are private individuals like you are and like I am, how did you cope when people would come up and want to chat to you when you, I don't know if you did wear daggy tracksuit pants, but I sure did, when you'd be wandering <laughs> around in tracksuit pants with your hair sticking up and no makeup on and people would, in good fun and faith, actually, you know, yell out, what's the news? Well, I never dressed daggy, as, as you know, also immaculately <laughs> dressed, uh, had my hair combed, always wore a, a tie. There's there's a thing I don't do anymore now. I have a, I used to have a wardrobe of about, 90 ties now I have about six I had seven suits now I have two I have a dress suit and a normal suit and I had about probably 25 shirts now I have three and it's (laughs) just wonderful and you can find things in your wardrobe absolutely (laughs) these are big questions but what hard to encapsulate too but what did you love and what did you hate about the job what what did you enjoy the most and what did you struggle with what did I hate or struggle with? Nothing. I, I, I didn't hate anything that I did. I absolutely loved my radio days. I absolutely loved my television days. I was glad I worked in radio and television when I did. Uh, I had a wonderful time, met uh, so many people. Um, one of the people that I, I didn't meet but I got to talk to over the telephone was a guy called Alan Hale Jr. Do you remember him at all? No. He was the skipper in Gilligan's Island. Oh, okay, yes. And I'll tell you a funny story about him. I borrowed a book from the Wollongong Library, and in it I found Alan Hale's telephone number. <laughs> so I, how it got there, I have no idea. So I just thought, I'll ring him and see. And his wife answered the phone, and I said, look, it's uh, Jeff Phillips from 2WL in Wollongong calling. I was wondering whether I could do an interview with Alan. She said, hang on a second, he's just mowing the lawn, I'll get him for you. So he came in, he said, hello. I said, look, my name is Jeff Phillips, I'm from 2WL in Wollongong, just south of uh, Sydney in Australia. He said, Australia, he said, I have a soft spot for Australia. You have a guy working down there called hmm, Bert Newton or something like that? I said, yeah, Bert Newton. He (laughs) said, yeah, he said, when Elvis Presley died... Bert Newton rang me to want my thoughts on the late Elvis Presley, what I knew about him. He said, I didn't even know he'd died. Elvis Presley has died and I get a telephone call from Bert Newton from Australia and that's how I found out that Elvis Presley died. Wow. And he spoke to me for the best part of half an hour, 45 minutes and talked about Gilligan's Island and his career and the people that he worked with. It was just fascinating. That's another one of those serendipitous moments, isn't it? Stumbling on that. When you're on on radio and television, you you do have opportunity of doing things because you're in the public persona. And back in the days of the 70s and 80s, I got in 
with Alan Robertson, who is the Secretary Manager of Depto Leagues Club and Alan Fitzgibbon. And they used to bring a lot of international acts to the Depto Leagues Club in those days. And you had to have an Australian act if you had three international acts. So what Alan did was use me as the Australian act. I was the MC for all these shows. And um, Des O'Connor, I went backstage to meet him and see how he wanted to be introduced. And he said, look, I'm, I'm having a bit of trouble. I've got a, a touch of laryngitis and uh, I've got a bit of a cold. So he said, I probably won't sing much tonight. And all these people had paid all this money to see Des O'Connor sing. Des O'Connor came out for an hour and 10 minutes. He sang three or four songs and just told anecdotes for the other hour. Wow. And he had and I thought, there's another professional guy. People have turned up to see him. Rather than saying, I've got laryngitis, a bit of laryngitis, I've got a cold, so I'm not going on. He's gone on and he's told all these wonderful stories about all the stars back in England. And I thought, what a professional guy he is. He's come out and he's done that. The other one that I, I'm a bit embarrassed to say was that there was a guy called Rick Dees who had a song called Disco Duck when the disco <laughs> era was on. Yeah, it was the number one song. He was a backing act for the Stylistics. Do you remember the Stylistics? Yes. Yep. Well, they appeared at Dapto League Summit. I was, I was the compare, and Rick Dees was one of their support acts. So I went out on stage to introduce Rick Dees, and ladies and gentlemen, number one hit, a wonderful talent. You're really going to enjoy him. He's been all over the world. He's unbelievable. He's fantastic. And I can't bloody remember his name. <laughs> oh, no. And, a compare's worst nightmare. Oh, absolutely. And he was standing, so he could see the trouble I was in, and he just sort of mouthed Rick Dees. So I, he, I introduced him as Rick Dees because he could see I was struggling. And from then on, on my right hand, every time I had to introduce someone, I wrote their name on my right hand. So no one in the audience could see, but I could put my right hand out to introduce them and get off the palm of my hand who I was introducing. A little oh, trick. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. You learned a lesson from it. Speaking of that type of resilience, like you, you did, you survived in in a pretty harsh landscape. Can be tricky, and it can be a, a challenging landscape, and certainly a changing one for a long time. What What would you say is the key to longevity? Just be yourself. Um, I would like to think that I was easygoing, um, and people, I, I get along with people. There's There's no real key to it. Just enjoy what you do. Like. You've just said it there. Like I've seen much more talented people than me get into the media and fall by the wayside. And I've seen other people strike it rich um, and, and they go on to, to great things. Yeah, if you, if you try and be anything but yourself, I think you will fail. And you do because... have to care deeply about the news too, do you, would you say? Yes, uh, and you and I have, have expressed this a number of times. When you become a parent, suddenly... Yeah, if something goes wrong with someone's child, it becomes very personal to you when you actually have to read it. Um, and I always remember uh, there was an accident. Um, a woman was hit by a train at Winuna many years ago and they didn't have a name. And then before the news started, they found a name and they, they put it into the news. And I hadn't read it and it just came through and it was somebody I knew. And I know I went, <gasps> because I didn't know they'd been hit by a train. Sorry. <clears throat> Yeah. And it, it just, that's, you know, and, and that just, that just gets you, but you have to take a deep breath and just soldier on. Yeah. Would you say um, in your time also, you've seen the gender balance change in newsrooms? 
Yes. Actually, when I first started, I think there was only one woman. Nero Fry was in the newsroom. All the rest were males. But now um, I think it, it's gone to – it's got, probably gone the other way. I, I think there should be a balance of – I mean – 50% males, 50% females, that, that's fantastic. Yeah, so, it's, it's really about your, you know, your capacity to perform the job and not so much about the gender. But I do feel like there has been a, a shift in the gender balance. Um, any funny or terrifying moments with viewers that you're, you'd like to share? Uh, no. <laughs> no? <laughs> so no, there hasn't been any? Or no, I'm really not prepared to share? <laughs> Nothing absolutely major um that that I'm really embarrassed about or gee I wish I hadn't done that or I just love my work I just love yeah. it yeah just finally any grand plans for the future that you care to reveal no no I'm I'm just happy being retired um I enjoy going to my lunches I enjoy playing golf I've had a hole in one in the last 12 months I I, I do a lot of reading um, I used to read for a living. Now I read for enjoyment. I read two or three books a week. I have a favourite author called James Patterson. Just love his stuff. I, I, I enjoy my gardening. I'm doing a lot of walking. Uh, I've lost 13 kilos since I was on camera because I'm now walking and exercising up hills and down dale and go out for walks every day for two hours and come back and happy as Larry. So Fantastic. Everything's good. And yep. I get to have coffee with you every now and again. That's it. It is great to catch up with you. Even though it's infrequent, it is great. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me and for sharing your stories, Jeff. I'll see you over a cup of coffee soon. Love to, KJ. And thanks for thinking of me. Pleasure to be with you. This has been my second episode of Conversations with Karen Johnston. If you got to the end and if you liked it, please comment, review, share it on social media or subscribe via a podcasting app. And thank you again for listening.